The Luck of Roaring Camp, Part 2 The camp rose to its feet as one man. It was proposed to explode a barrel of gunpowder, but in consideration of the situation of the mother, better counsels prevailed, and only a few revolvers were discharged. For, whether owing to the rude surgery of the camp or some other reason, Cherokee Sal was sinking fast. Within an hour, she had climbed, as it were, that rugged road that led to the stars, and so passed out of roaring camp, its sin and shame forever. I do not think that the announcement disturbed them much, except in speculation as to the fate of the child. Can he live now? was asked of Stumpy. The answer was doubtful. The only other being of Cherokee Sal's sex and maternal condition in the settlement was an ass. There was some conjecture as to fitness, but the experiment was tried. It was less problematical than the ancient treatment of Romulus and Remus, and apparently as successful. When these details were completed, which exhausted another hour, the door was opened and the anxious crowd of men who had already formed themselves into a queue entered in single file. Beside the low bunk or shelf, on which the figure of the mother was starkly outlined below the blankets, stood a pine table. On this, a candle box was placed, and within it, swathed in starring red flannel, lay the last arrival at Roaring Camp. Beside the candle box was placed a hat. Its use was soon indicated. Gentlemen, said Stumpy, with a singular mixture of authority and ex officio complacency. Gentlemen, will please pass in at the front door, round the table, and out at the back door. Them as wishes to contribute anything toward the orphan will find a hat handy. The first man entered with his hat on. He uncovered, however, as he looked about him, and so unconsciously set an example to the next. In such communities, good and bad actions are catching. As the procession filed in, comments were audible, criticisms addressed, perhaps, rather to Stumpy in the character of showman. Is that him? Mighty small specimen. Hasn't more'n got the color. Ain't bigger nor a derringer. The contributions were as characteristic. A silver tobacco box, a double balloon, a navy revolver, silver-mounted, a gold specimen, a very beautifully embroidered lady's handkerchief from Oakhurst the Gambler, a diamond breastpin, a diamond ring, suggested by the pin with the remark from the giver that he saw that pin and went two diamonds better, a slingshot, a Bible, contributor not detected, a golden spur, a silver teaspoon, the initials I regret to say were not the giver's, a pair of surgeon's shears, a lancet, a Bank of England note for five pounds, and about two hundred dollars in loose gold and silver coins. During these proceedings, 
Stumpy maintained a silence as impassive as the dead on his left, a gravity as inscrutable as that of the newly born on his right. Only one incident occurred to break the monotony of the curious procession. As Kentuck bent over the candle box, half curiously, the child turned, and, in a spasm of pain, caught at his groping fingers, and held it fast for a moment. Kentuck looked foolish and embarrassed. Something like a blush tried to assert itself in his weather-beaten cheek. That damned little cuss, he said, as he extricated his finger, with perhaps more tenderness and care than he might have been deemed capable of showing. He held that finger a little apart from its fellows as he went out, and examined it curiously. The examination provoked the same original remark in regard to the child. In fact, he seemed to enjoy repeating it. He wrestled with my finger, he remarked to Tipton, holding up the member, the damned little cuss. It was four o'clock before the camp sought repose. A light burnt in the cabin where the watcher sat. For Stumpy did not go to bed that night, nor did Kentuck. He drank quite freely and related with great gusto his experience, invariably ending with his characteristic condemnation of the newcomer. It seemed to relieve him of any unjust implication of sentiment, and Kentuck had the weaknesses of the nobler sex. When everybody else had gone to bed, he walked down to the river and whistled reflectingly. Then he walked up the gulch, past the cabin, still whistling with demonstrative unconcern. At a large redwood tree, he paused and retraced his steps and again passed the cabin. Halfway down to the river's banks, he again paused, and then returned and knocked at the door. It was opened by Stumpy. How goes it? said Kentuck, looking at Stumpy toward the candle box. All serene, replied Stumpy. Anything up? Nothing. There was a pause an embarrassing one, Stumpy still holding the door. Then Kentuck had recourse to his finger, which he held up to Stumpy. Wrestled with it, the damned little cuss, he said, and retired.